Hello, and thank you for joining us today, July 22nd, 2020, for this edition of In Real Time, our series of short flash podcasts. My name is Chris Broadhead, and I'm a Managing Director at Benefit Street Partners, or BSP. We understand that many of you are joining us from home as we continue to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic together, and we hope that you and your families and friends are safe and healthy. For those that may not be familiar with BSP, here's a brief primer. Established in 2008, Benefit Street Partners is a leading New York City-based alternative asset management firm with more than 230 employees and approximately $27 billion in assets under management and functions as the alternative investment arm of Franklin Templeton. Our guest today is Larry Zimmerman, who is Managing Director and serves as our Head of Private Debt Deal Origination. Thanks for being with us today, Larry. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. So we're going to do our best to keep these podcasts fairly short, uh, so I'll limit our dialogue to just a few questions. But to, to kick us off today, just tell us a little bit about your role at BSP, and, and do you work on the entire suite of credit offerings for the firm? Sure. As you mentioned, I am the uh, head of private debt origination based in New York. Uh, I lead our private debt investment team. We've got um, four strategies at Benefit Street. Uh, across the credit spectrum, uh, private debt, liquid credit, commercial real estate, and special situations. And I um, am actively involved in, in the full scope of activities within the private debt strategy from sourcing and originating new deals to looking after the team that handles all the underwriting and ultimately the portfolio management for our closed investments. I think we can all agree that it's a competitive deal sourcing landscape. How does BSP attempt to differentiate itself from other potential buyers? It's a great question. Um, obviously, things have, have changed uh, significantly with the COVID pandemic over the last few months, but in many ways, uh, the recipe for winning business hasn't changed at all. I, I would describe it as a combination of several characteristics, size, speed, certainty, and relationships. Uh, size really is, is the ability to speak to a large-scale capital commitment and deliver um, all of the capital needed for a potential borrower's deal. Um, you know, we're one of the larger scale managers, and so we've, we've uh, got the ability to comfortably commit in excess of $200 million uh, to any individual deal. That's a very competitive weapon, um, you know, that we use selectively for deals that we like. Um, speed and certainty is just the ability to move fast and take deals off the table that we like the characteristics from a credit profile perspective. We've got a research team that we lean on heavily to accelerate the underwriting process. The, the depth of our industry expertise, we think, is another important competitive edge that we have that, that helps fuel the, the speed and certainty with which we can deliver commitments. And, you know, it, it's become an incredibly competitive market. So not always do relationships ultimately matter, but, but we do see examples still, uh, even in this competitive marketplace where the, the quality of your relationship with a private equity firm or a uh, advisory firm can really make the difference in in uh, having a deal come your way. We just saw a very good example of that last week where 
we won a larger scale deal that all the characteristics I just described combined to, to help us win a $180 million financing that we really liked a lot. We're really excited about that one. Yeah, it's fun to see that come to fruition. Um, so how has the COVID-19 environment affected the private credit space from say six months ago and how do you see the environment further impacting private, uh, uh, private credit going forward? Well, I think if you if you break it into two pieces, there's there's the origination and new deal flow side, and there's the portfolio management side, which is always the case in our business. Um, new deal flow year to date is down probably 30 to 40 percent after being up slightly in January and February. So it really in Q2 uh, took a nosedive with M&A, um, which is usually the biggest source of new deal flow, um, really putting on the brakes and the M&A market um, came to a screeching halt and we've, we're starting to see a little bit of a thaw and, and a trickle of new deal flow. But um, that's probably the biggest thing that, that has happened. And importantly, the emphasis, um, not just for us, but I think for all credit managers has shifted uh, to a, a bigger focus on portfolio management, much more frequent dialogue um, with management teams and private equity firms who are um, looking after uh, the names in the portfolio, being mindful of, of potential covenant breaches or liquidity needs for the companies who are struggling and, and more directly hit by COVID. So the balance between origination and portfolio management has temporarily shifted uh, on toward the portfolio management side. And I think that's going to remain the case you know, for the next year or two. And, and I think for the deal flow that is coming through, you know, we think we've got incredibly high underwriting standards to begin with, but it, it's, you know, for sure the case that the underwriting standards have become even more rigorous and, you know, the need to get real clarity around uh, companies' performance and, and prospects for the coming six to 12 to 18 months uh, is more critical than ever if we're gonna put new capital. Uh, in the book. Are there any types of opportunities that have accelerated since the pandemic hit? Uh, this could be sector or industry specific, or are these a little bit more idiosyncratic in nature? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's more idiosyncratic in nature in that the companies that have weathered the COVID storm so far have sort of jump to the front of the line in terms of lenders interest level and not surprisingly the companies that are in sectors that have been hard hit and seen 90 to 100 percent revenue declines people do not obviously want to extend new credit to those companies unless you're already in the name and need to do so for defensive purposes and it's it's actually kind of surprised us that it's no one industry that's been hot because of COVID or, or conversely, no one industry that's been the only place where, where companies have been hit. We've had a few surprises that, you know, companies we thought might get hit harder have done just fine. And um, those have been the, the situations where, you know, we've received new deals and embraced them and, and you know, chased them enthusiastically. So um, hard to, hard to really um summarize it in in a in a 
you know, specific one or two sectors or, or types of situations. Uh, it's, it's, it's an incredibly case-by-case, case, uh, highly selective state of time in terms of how we're evaluating opportunities. What have you seen uh, that is different or similar uh, to previous periods of, of, dis- of dislocation, like the, the early 2000s tech bubble, the global financial crisis, the 2011 downgrade, et cetera? Well, I guess the biggest difference is uh, we've all learned we can actually function working remotely <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the need to all be together uh, grinding away at, at the desk is, is not as um, critical as, as I think we all perceived it to be. I think we've, we've been pleased that our team and our, our firm, you know, has uh, kept things moving along in, incredibly seamlessly. But beyond that, yeah, I think it was it's it's the abruptness of how companies have been hit and how broad based the impact has been um, that I think does feel different this go around and and just the uncertainty of how long it's going to last and what it's going to take to to get things back to normal in terms of trying to assess the duration and you know the where, where the the real opportunities may come from down the road. You know, I think that's, that's probably, it, it has just felt like, you know, a bit more abrupt and a bit more, you know, impactful than the previous downturns. And maybe what's not different um, that we've seen evidence of so far is the, the uh, importance of quality management at, at the borrower company level. And, you know, you can really sense when a company can, you know, make changes swiftly, cut costs, and and the dialogue you have with the CEO or a, a hands-on CFO, um, who's really the A quality management team you can feel good about, and 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 see some of that evidence come in how they're handling their internal problems. Um, you know, it really does matter, and sometimes in in bull markets and benign default environments, you you tend to gloss over. The importance of a quality management teams, but I think we're 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 going to see when um, the dust settles in the next year or two that that the companies that had the really high quality management teams are the ones that that you know come out uh, less impacted than the ones who could not you know handle the chaos quite as deftly. And just one other point that I think is important about the current environment, even though volume is compressed and there aren't that many opportunities. What what we like about what we're seeing in the market right now is that the outcomes of the deals that we are doing are much more favorable from a lender's perspective than they had been throughout most of 2018 and 19 in terms of the overall package of leverage, yield, structure, documentation terms, we've, we've been able to get some positive movement back in favor of the lenders, whereas the pendulum had, had shifted a bit too far toward the borrowers in terms of overall deal terms. Unclear how long that's going to last, but you know the last couple deals that we've committed to and funded since COVID hit have, have been you know, really interesting well-structured deals, and, and we're hopeful that that trend will continue for a while. 
Thanks, Larry. Okay, one last question for you, and and that is, with so many choices in periods of of volatility, what do you like about private credit in comparison to some other uh, asset classes that institutional and high net worth and retail investors may have access to? Sure, it's um, a great and obviously very important question. Look, I I, I just think the risk-adjusted return opportunity in private credit um, is better than any other asset class that investors could be evaluating right now, even when we are potentially walking into a 10 or 15 plus percent default rate environment. Um, you know, the, the substantial majority of the credit that, that we book is first lean, top of the capital structure, first out in a, in a, in a downturn restructuring type scenario. And it, it's, you know, when you have a good experienced investment team and investment committee, you know, sifting through all the different opportunities to help minimize the, the impact of whatever defaults come, come your way. I, I just think the asset class as a whole is going to perform better on a risk-adjusted basis than any other alternatives out there. And then there are some other things going on that, that you look into where are direct lenders relative to banks and the role that direct lenders can play going forward kind of goes back to some of what I was talking about around competitive advantage and, and size and speed and certainty and, and giving prospective borrowers what they really want in a lending relationship that they can't get from true banks anymore, particularly in the middle market, where you know banks just do not, as a rule, want to hold risk on their books. The value proposition of not just Benefit Street, but the you know, large-scale direct lenders as a whole is, is incredibly compelling relative to what, what banks offer prospective borrowers. And, and because of that, you know, I think you still have uh, tremendous growth on the horizon, even though people tend to get a bit fixated on how much capital has come into the direct lending space over the past couple of years. Um, I think over time, we will, we will see that, you know, the growth is really just beginning and, and there's, you know, plenty more uh, opportunity ahead. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us today, Larry, and, and special thanks to all of our listeners out there. Um, everybody, please be safe and be well and stay tuned for our next edition of In Real Time. Comments, opinions, and analyses contained herein are those of the speaker and are for informational purposes only. Because market and economic conditions are subject to change, comments, opinions, and analyses are rendered as of the date of this recording and may change without notice. The analysis and opinions expressed herein may differ or be contrary to those expressed by other business areas, portfolio managers, or investment management teams at Franklin Templeton Investments. Opinions are intended to provide insight on macroeconomic issues and commentary is not intended as individual investment advice or a recommendation or solicitation to buy, sell, or hold any security or to adopt any investment strategy. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principle.